Okay, so th as, um, as Greg said, this is uh, going to be a tag team effort and I've asked the uh, organizers uh, to let me know when 40 minutes have gone by so I can finish promptly at 45, 40, after 45 minutes and get off the stage. Max and I will be talking about rather different things. Um, I want to make sure he has enough time. And uh, since many of you heard me last week, I'm going to talk about a somewhat different uh, problem uh, today. And uh, this is work in progress and welcome the feedback and uh, I also uh, heartily encourage uh, questions. Uh, it's a diverse group and I certainly have not been shy about jumping in, so I hope you'll do that uh, with me. So I want to start by making the point that uh, range expansions can either be unstructured or structured, not, ne not just genetically, but spatially. And so here's a, uh, uh, a range expansion uh, the, of the type that uh, a couple people have talked about at this workshop in a Petri dish, uh, E. coli dividing every 36 minutes or so. And you can see that there's this terraced front that's advancing uh, across a dish of hard agar, a featureless dish except for its circular boundaries. Uh, it's a monolayer at the frontier. The dividing slows down back here and then here we have interesting uh, phenomena, not merely a fissure population wave coming down, but also uh, genetic competitions at this one-dimensional frontier world um, that uh, I talked a little bit about last week. But there's lots of um, uh, structured range expansions in biology and they can be very important. Uh, it's ten only tangentially related to the theme of the workshop, but I guess you could say that uh, some of these cancers that we've been hearing about are a, a revolt against conformity and group behavior. And uh, if you have a group of organisms, in this case family or population of salamanders, uh, migrating down the California coastline, subject to genetic drift, separated by a mountain range so that they can't uh, interbreed. Sometimes when they come together at the end, they, they can no longer uh, mate, and this is uh, called sympatric speciation. And uh, I will not, unfortunately, produce sympatric speciation for you on a Petri dish. I'd, I'd like to do that. But we will talk ultimately about obstacles and uh, inhomogeneous environments uh, in which various microorganisms like bacteria or yeast and also viruses uh, can, uh, can spread and, and undergo range expansion. So that's, that's the theme. So here's a summary. This is just a reminder of what sympatric speciation is. These are species of fish, like in, in this stylized map of the uh, southeastern United States. And um, uh, our world is not uh, an agar plate, and geographical features can indeed influence ecosystems and range expansions. And I think one of the themes of this workshop, uh, uh, starting uh, back perhaps with the, the, the work of Joan Roughgarden and others uh, back in the 70s, is to combine ecology uh, with population genetics. Uh, the, those two disciplines seem to have separated for a while, and I think it's very profitable to try to try to bring them back together. And one question that I'll get to at the very end is how does a range expansion in an inhomogeneous environment shape genetic uh, diversity? And as I say, there's also this extreme limit of sympatric 
uh, speciation and ultimately be led uh, to some simplified models of spatial structure, uh, uh, migration not around an obstacle or a lake or, or a mountain range, uh, let's just call them obstacles for the moment, and we'll see a combination of simulations, experiments, and some simple high school trigonometry uh, to try to figure out what's going on. So um, adding population genetics at the end, I'll show you an interesting simulation uh, of E. coli. And this is all work uh, done primarily by Wolfram Möbius, a very talented postdoc who works with me and, and takes advantage of the wonderful resources in the Murray lab, including Andrew Murray himself. And um, uh, Wolfram was trained as a theorist and still does a lot of the theory and simulations, but he does experiments as well. It's quite a remarkable evolution uh, that he's undergone over the last two years or so. Uh, and as I said, this is work in progress, so uh, your questions and insights are very welcome. We're just about to write some of this stuff up. Um, okay, so this is this assay that I uh, talked about last week, just to remind people uh, what's going on, since I'll come to it at the end. Um, we started with, um, with two uh, uh, almost identical species of, uh, of E. coli, uh, identical main chromosomes, but differing by only a little bit on a plasmid. Plasmid in this original experiment uh, had ampicillin resistance, so it was not a healthy thing for the uh, bacteria to lose the plasmid. It, prevent, it prevented uh, plasmid loss. And then there are these different colors that you may, might remember uh, differing in this particular case by a single um, amino acid change, which is enough to change the color. So we spotted down this, uh, this population uh, in this little inoculant. And uh, after uh, uh, you know, four days or whatever, this little quarter uh, of a dime-sized spot in white light appeared, more interesting in fluorescent excitation. And uh, this is a more global view. And this circle uh, corresponds to the inoculant. Uh, and I'll sometimes refer to that as the homeland. And then radiating out is this genetic uh, demixing uh, phenomena that uh, focused on last week. So I want to focus on something different. But there's one technical point that puzzled us for a little bit, but experts probably weren't surprised. That this is a picture of one of these range expansions. This is uh, an inoculant when I was a little careless and wasn't very circular. Um, uh, and this is, uh, this is this gene surfing. This is just shows the, uh, the, the green fluorescent protein channel. Founder population is about 5,000. I want to talk first, though, about why is this rim so bright? There's an enhanced population at the frontier. It's as if the bacteria knew they were expanding and had decided to all organize themselves on the edge of the, uh, of, of the colony before their, their great uh, outward uh, march. Uh, that's not what happened. Uh, in fact, uh, that's actually a physics effect. Some of you may have encountered it on your kitchen sinks. Uh, if you spill some coffee drops, notice that uh, when they spread, and they actually they spread a little bit, then they evaporate. But the very process of evaporation 
uh, enhances the coffee grounds near the rim. And that's a beautiful story that was worked out at the University of Chicago and Sid Nagel's group and Tom Whitten and so forth. And so there, there are currents driven by the evaporation, driven by the shape of the drop that enhances uh, the uh, density of organisms near the frontier. And in fact, in, in our experiments, uh, if you put down a two millimeter uh, diameter droplet, in about two minutes, uh, all the uh, carrier uh, nutrient fluid evaporates. Of course, there's nutrients still on the agar, so the population can grow. And you'll see this uh, beautiful ring in addition to some random uh, individuals in the interior. So there's a concentration, like the coffee grounds, of the bacteria. And one, uh, one night, in a moment of frivolity, we mixed together uh, yeast and bacteria in the same test tube, which is a horrifying uh, prospect for many of our lab mates. And uh, we did this experiment. We got two concentric rings, and we separated the yeast and the bacteria by this effect. Now, what yeah, maybe they're trying to actually get rid of this phenomenon. Uh, we haven't tried. We, we we haven't tried. It's it's. Uh, we you, I guess you could imagine strategies for doing it. Thank you for the question. Um, but uh, we, we just live with it, and we just have an enhanced density of bacteria. We don't think you know if there's two different uh, organisms, if they're the same size, they're not going to be sorted. They'll they'll have the same initial density here. So so far we've just lived with it. Any other questions? So. Um, not really the range expansions, uh, at least I find interesting. I also am interested in this homeland. And here's a, a titration uh, assay for these one millimeter homelands uh, that, that I did by diluting things down. So this is uh, a limit where I, I estimated there are 25 uh, red, green and 25 red uh, viable uh, bacteria in the homeland. And then you can see these patches. And if you count the patches, it's roughly the numbers that I, I gave you. Uh, this is only um, uh, maybe uh, well, it's 24 hours after the inoculation, so not much range expanding has done, has happened yet. Um, but you can, you can also uh, increase uh, the, the concentration and so forth. And I want you to focus in on the interior uh, of this homeland where the bacteria are pretty dense. There, there's about 5,000 founders. And you get these beautiful pictures uh, uh, th th like this. Um, and the origin of why they're quite so intricate, why they're quite so convoluted, uh, is an interesting question in itself. But I look at that and I see archipelagos. I see the coastline of Norway. Uh, you know, if, if I see some fantasy world in, in a J.R. Martin novel or something going on here, and and you might ask, well, maybe we could uh, could something live in here and uh, deal with uh, this interesting ecological uh, landscape? Uh, can this homeland be regarded um, uh, in that way? And um, if uh, I'm fortunate, uh, I'll be able to show you a movie of uh, a range expansion. And so it's just, these are just different channels. It's the same uh, uh, experiment in four panels. And if this movie works, uh, you'll see a range expansion. Well, you won't because the movie isn't working, which is a typical problem when you try to use uh, Quicken uh, on a... Microsoft platform. Perhaps Quicken even arranged it that way. 
Uh, we'll see if this works. Okay, so maybe there's a chance. Let me go here. Uh, so let's do view. Let's fit the screen. And let's see what happens. So, so this is just a, a slightly denser version of that uh, ring you saw. And before the range expansion can get going, disaster happens. And disaster happens because there's a viral invader that uh, is, is taking over. This looks to me like a crescent moon and I was told that ancient societies thought that uh, lunar eclipse was a dragon eating the, the moon. Uh, luckily it always came back and um, uh, in fact this was done by design. It wasn't sloppy experimentation although it could happen uh, certainly uh, in any lab uh, that a virus crept in and this particular virus was uh, bacteriophage T7 and um, it's an obligatory lytic virus. It doesn't have a lysis-lysogeny switch. It forms large plaques. It grows easily on bacterial lawns in the stationary phase. Um, uh, it's uh, got an appreciable, appreciable genome, 40,000 uh, base pairs. Um, and uh, here's what it looks like and so forth. And here, if this movie will work, is what it does. So, so this is like two months after Wolfram arrived in the lab and nothing much is happening except cell division of E. coli um, for now. Um, and then these colonies, these micro colonies will eventually collide and so forth. But um, at some point in this movie, disaster strikes. And you're seeing lysis. Uh, of the bacteria because mixed into the agar was a fairly dense concentration of T7. And it took a while, I, I'm presuming, we haven't tried to analyze this quantitatively, for it to, to, to diffuse around through the agar and uh, infect these guys. Each lysis produces approximately 200 new, vir new virions. Yes, please. What was the title of the T7? Because it's kind of interesting that it got going for a while and then it collapsed. Yeah, I'd forgotten. And, and we should ask Wolfram. There are a lot of interesting questions, and I wish I could answer those particular ones, but I just don't have the, the numbers at my fingertips. T7 yeah. start from one spot? No, in this case, the T7 was just mixed into oh, the slurry of the agar. Yeah, that's another remarkable thing which we need to go back and understand. Yeah. Yes. And the time from, uh, from infection to lysis? Yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's run the movie again because I believe we have the time in the upper left. And I'm and we can figure out, so this I think is ours because you can see cell division. And so it's some hours. Um, like 12 or but something. But I guess uh, you, you said that you, you think it's uh, still diffusing from a... Uh, that, that, that's just the first thing that came to mind, but the experiments to, to quantify that and, and test that idea haven't been done. Uh, so I was actually surprised by how long... Uh, how long? I was too. Because, uh, I was too. And it didn't seem like it came from anywhere. You could imagine that maybe it was Wolfram was just learning how to do experiments and maybe it wasn't well mixed and there was a, a big clunk of uh, T7s coming in. So lots of interesting things to understand about this particular experiment, but I'm going to show you other experiments which we have uh, perhaps more answers to. But this is just to pique your curiosity. It's still piquing mine and, and obviously yours. 
Other, yeah. T7 was in, was in a fluid layer or in the agar? It was, it was I, I believe it was mixed in the agar, which has lots of fluid in the interstices. It was hard agar, but, but it, uh, as far as we can tell, and other experimenters would confirm this, that it, it can diffuse around inside. It's small enough to go through the, the meshwork of the agar gel. And once it infects, it needs a certain amount of time to make the new virions. That's certainly that that's certainly uh, true. And I, 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 I again, I need to check. There's a very nice reference. I think um, we actually got from Boris, which has these numbers. And I think it's 40 minutes, something like that. Sound right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Other questions. Um, Actually, I have a question. Sure. Uh, slide before you start. Okay, uh, sure. Uh, talking about the phage. Yeah. On on the left, uh, the spot is still the same size. Why does it look out of focus? This one here. Yeah. Why is uh, doesn't look why the territory is maybe it's uh, maybe it was just me not being very good on the microscope that day. It's not that the territory is any more diffuse than. Uh, well, there, so 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 the 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 boundaries are. Um, I, I think over here you, you get sort of buckling and, and um, are you asking what, where does this come from or why don't well, I see it there? Or? From where, where I see it, it looks like yep. uh, the boundaries of those uh, red and green clumps here, yes. are much more diffuse. Um, uh, yeah. In your fjords thing. So yeah. I'm just asking, is this uh, structure or is this imaging? I, I, I think it may be a lack of focus in, my, in the microscope. Um, it also is a very different initial condition. Uh, what's going on is, we think, is a lot of short-range pneumatic order because these are rod-shaped things, so it's like a pneumatic liquid crystal. And if I have many, many of these things coming together uh, w with these colored markers, uh, it, it's, it's like a polycrystalline sample with smaller crystallites, and so perhaps that can get more convoluted as they try to crash into each other and so forth. But, uh, but the short answer is I don't have a good, I, I don't know for sure. Well, yeah. Related to Boris's question, yeah. uh, there seem to be cells or kind of mesoscale uh -huh. You know, dark uh, light variations in the like within within here. Oh, okay. Yeah, like yeah, the, like, yeah. Are those? Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's I think I, well. So I think that's probably the center of this bright spot that you've noticed. Uh, I suspect is the found is the lo roughly the location of the founder cell, and so as they make colonies, they begin to pile up more near the center. Uh, the frontier, as we saw in that original movie, is a monolayer. The monolayers then collide, but in the frontier, it's thicker and, and hence brighter. That that might be an explanation for that. Uh, I see it in the middle a little less, and then yeah. not at all far right. Yeah, yeah, and again, that may just be focus. An inexpert uh, microscope jockey, I don't know. Uh, other questions? I mean, there, yep. there, there might be also some kind of a thickness effect, right? Because they might yes. pile up a little bit. So yeah, it's not strictly too right. deep. Yeah, that's what I was saying. That, that is, that is uh, the, what happens in, in these colonies, whether they're single color or multiple colors, is they do indeed, you're quite right, get thicker near the middle. Uh, and they, 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 they get thicker as they slow down and stop dividing. Uh, the frontiers and these bacterial range expansions that we've looked at for the non-motile bacteria on hard agar are monolayers. But I think that that's indeed well, maybe what's going on uh, with Greg's question. Other questions? 
Okay, so um, this is just some lovely previous work by John Yin and others who recognized that this was a, a very interesting laboratory for range expansions, but also genetic mutations which happen at the front. And if you're, if you're not, if you just take sort of a standard stock T7, um, it, it, it has a, a range expansion. This is the wild type, so to speak, coming from the standard stock. Um, and it grows. This is the radius of the, of the circle as a function of time. But if you look at these bulges and you take a stab right here of the virus at the frontier and re-inoculate this, this um, uh, reputatively evolved virus, it expands a lot faster. And so you see bulges coming out. Much faster timescale than those uh, E. coli and yeast mutations I was talking about last week. So it's a it, it's a, um, it's a short, it's, a, it's an organism with, uh, which, which can evolve, everybody knows viruses can evolve very fast, and um, that, that's an interesting feature. Uh, ideally, we'd like to have two different viral colors and look at the debris of the lysis to sort of do viral genetics. We have not managed to achieve that, but we, we've done other things that, that might interest you. Here's a simple model of what's going on, a sort of chemical reaction language where a virus uh, adsorbs onto a bacterium and with some rate constant K1, if it doesn't desorb first, uh, infects it and then uh, with another rate constant, it, the lysis um, uh, causes uh, a yield. Yield is maybe 200 uh, times the number of viruses. And then you can write down equations which in which the uh, infected and uh, pristine bacteria don't move around. So they're sitting on hard agar without motility, but the virus diffuses. So there's three coupled equations, and in fact, you can get a Fisher wave of destruction coming out of those coupled equations, as Yin and McGaskill showed. And there's certain velocity and, and so forth, and, and uh, the viral diffusion constant comes in and so forth. So that's background. Did anyone do multiple sampling on that range to see if the mutant is... I, I, I would, I would, that would be a very interesting question. And nowadays, you know, this was done back in the 90s, you should sequence and see what's going on and try to understand. It, it, it's evolution playing out on a very rapid time scale, which I think is very interesting in itself. What we typically did was to uh, do our own selection, um, analogous to the stab, and, uh, and, and work with a, with, with a virus that's at a fitness maximum for the particular bacterial lawns that we're exposing it to. And there's one other f phenomenon here, which uh, I'd like to show you in this movie. Um, so here we have a, uh, in white light, a range expansion, excuse me. And so I'll stop it here. And so, you know, it got infected several places. You can control the titer of the T7. But notice that this thickened wall, when the wave gets there, changes the propagation velocity. Um, there's a lot of uh, extra food out there. And as it gets out here, this, this front swings around and, 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 and actually goes much faster than the front here. All right. That's refraction. That's the bending of this population wave. It's not like light, where this is a linear wave uh, to a good approximation. It's a nonlinear Fisher wave, but it can bend and refract just as a conventional wave can. And you can understand that, as I'll show you, with ray tracing. Okay. Um, it's a little bit like people around airports who don't want to annoy 
uh, the, their neighbors will uh, look at sound bending in response to uh, you know cold fronts and that sort of thing. Uh, the same thing happens uh, with these T7 in their wave of destruction. So we, after some work, Wolfram managed to look at the spread of a T7 epidemic through a population of T7 resistant and T7 susceptible E. coli through the homeland. Okay, so it's a dilute titer uh, and uh, there, there are susceptible and uh, uh, resistant individuals and um, the red uh, seems to be uh, immune, although eventually there, we've had runs where the T7 has uh, managed to uh, mutate and, and go after the red as well as the yellow. Um, also, sometimes in the wake, there are a few E. coli cells that are uh, uh, resistant and then they, they make little small sluggish colonies in the wake. So there's lots of population genetics, Darwinian uh, competition as well as genetic drift going on here. Um, so ultimately, we'd like to do a systematic study of this, vary the relative proportions of the uh, T7 susceptible and, and, and T7 resistant uh, E. coli lawns. Um, the, the, uh, but, I, but for now, we thought we would try to simplify the problem a bit. Yeah? What is the typical time scale for E. coli to acquire T7 resistance randomly or by transfer from its neighbors? I don't know those numbers. Um, I don't think much of it happens here because um, uh, if, if, if you look in these black regions, um, the, uh, I, I don't think there, uh, my guess is there's not enough time for that to happen. It's a very interesting question. Uh, let me run the movie again. Um, the, uh, so I would guess that the yellow, um, the yellow um, uh, strain doesn't have time to, to I mean, you could, the only place you could acquire th resistance would be from these boundaries. Uh, if it's hardwired in the genome, I'd have to go back and look at what the difference was between the, the yellow strain and the red strain. Uh, I think it would be hard to, to get that by some sort of horizontal gene transfer. Uh, so you, you, you can engineer it uh, away uh, to some extent, I suspect, but the show, I don't have a good answer to that question. Any other questions? Maybe I do have an answer too. Okay, so they like said we try to simplify things a little bit and first understand um, uh, prescribed domains rather than these random archipelago-like uh, concatenations on the left. And so we want to focus on a few well-defined obstacles. And um, that was done, uh, inspired by a conversation Wolfram had with the um, Leibler lab down in Rockefeller, but, but I think he did it a different way but, uh, with some, some interesting ideas. And this was to use a, uh, a CD printer, label printer. And so here it is, opened up, here's a CD, but that CD you can gouge out some rectangular patches, put agar in them. And then instead of putting in those little color uh, uh, modules that uh, let you do color printing, you put in modules loaded with different color bacteria. And the first thing he printed was E. coli, <laughs> the word E. coli. <laughs> That was the early run, it wasn't too accurate, but, but you know, you can spell E. coli. And then, and then you, you, you mix in some of the virus and, uh, and it goes after the yellow, but the, uh, the, the red is resistant. Are there any DPIs? 
how many DPA platforming? E. coli yeah, oh, uh, <laughs> Ask Wolfram. What uh, is cool? <laughs> um, and and so he made started making obstacles. And I'll show you mostly computer simulations and also some bacterial range expansions. But he, he's done all these things with various obstacles. And what is this experiment? Um, it's a large rectangular uh, bacterial lawn. And then rather than use a razor blade, he wanted to launch a linear population wave off a soaked piece of rectangular filter paper, soaked with um, T7. Okay? And, and so he printed a diamond. He could print much more interesting things, as you can guess. Um, and uh, this is, the, uh, this is a, an optimized T7 phage that's sitting at its fitness maximum approximately and so you don't get these bulges and constant mutations at the front, which are interesting in themselves, but leave them out for now. And as this thing wraps around, notice it's forming a cusp. And, and the, the cusp eventually heals, but uh, the question is, what, what, you know, how can we understand that cusp? How can we understand lots of arrays? So um, Wolfram did some simulations, and, uh, and which can be understood by ray tracing, as I'll show you. And so this is a simple model for phage spreading. It's a kind of Fisher equation. And, and U is a field that describes the, the viral uh, destruction. So if U is, is 1, nothing much has happened. But if U is 0, then there's destruction in the wake. And then there's a... A, 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 if you like, a viral growth rate it depends on position, and it would be zero, let's say, inside the diamond, and some finite value outside. Okay, and so with this kind of simple model, okay, cusp. Okay, now most, if you think of this as a lake for uh, that inter interrupts the migration of land-dwelling creatures, uh, most lakes aren't diamond-shaped. But here's a round one. A cusp. Cusp heals, uh, but, but there's, there's a cusp. Okay, and so um, let's ask ourselves what's going on. And just to show that I actually have a research notebook in which I do calculations. Uh, the, uh, uh, I'll, I'll attempt to uh, work out what's going on here. So, so here's a range expansion, and I'm just going to use ray tracing, high school optics. Uh, uh, population coming up here. Let's ask ourselves, once, it get, once uh, organisms get to this point on the edge of the diamond, uh, how will they have gotten there? And this is a world in which uh, it, it's survival of the fastest. Whoever gets to the virgin territory first can have progeny and so forth. And if you want to get here, the way to do it is to go on a straight line like this, and then go around like this, and, and, and go on a path that sort of looks, looks like so. Um, and what will happen once this wave gets uh, up, up here, okay, uh, is this will still be an approximately flat front, because the shortest distance from here to here is a straight line vertically. Um, but um, uh, if you ask yourself, well, what's going to happen? Uh, what is the shape of the front going to be like right here? This kind of argumentation, ray tracing, 
or Huygens' principle, if it were optics, uh, says that this is a, this is actually an arc of a circle. Okay, and the arc of that circle uh, is what gives rise to this cusp up here. There's an arc on both sides, and um, one of the interesting questions is: is you can, you know, there's also a cusp up here. And then we can ask, what happens, what is this angle as a function of time? Um, and, um, uh, the, uh, and, and so this math, just high school trigonometry with a little bit of calculus, says that the tangent of phi is equal to the edge length of the diamond divided by this function of time, which goes uh, to zero like one over time. Uh, so time is measured uh, from the moment the cusp appears. So BC, negative times, is before cusp. Okay. And AC is after cusp. And then the cusp slowly heals. And you can do it for a circle and that sort of thing. All right. So what's going on? Um, what's going on is um, uh, let, let, let's now we ultimately want to go back and look at some random medium. And I'd like to, in uh, some cases at least, maybe characterize it by an index of refraction. There's also percolation, stuff like that. So let's take a look at what happens when you have an array of diamonds. Uh, Notice, so this purple is the wave that would be there if there were no obstructions, no obstacles. And um, the actual, in this simulation of a virus, the actual front lags. Um, and it, there's a slower velocity uh, that it has, just like an inhomogeneous dielectric medium. Um, it's crucial that this is this can all be worked out with ray tracing, but it's it's crucial that the, that there actually uh, be um, some blockage and that the path, the zigzag path you saw there, uh, be longer than a straight line shot. Here, there's a straight line shot that has no no problems with the obstacles, and although there are cusps, they always heal, and there's no diminution in the velocity here. So there's a critical density before the velocity begins to drop and eventually the presumably drops to zero with some sort of percolation but threshold. Assuming that there's no mutation that changes the velocity. That's a very good point. And so what we did in the experiments that I showed you, uh, and, and that's interesting in itself, and I'd love to follow those and understand them better, but, but what uh, uh, we did here with the actual T7 experiments is that we optimized uh, for the particular bacterial lawns that we're on. So there's no, there's no, there are already at the fitness peak and there's no place for them to go, uh, at least on the time scale of our experiments. Other questions? The transition happens when these uh, squares in the middle meet the... Yeah, basically when, 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 the, when this path just gets squeezed out and you start having slight zigzags, that's when the transition happens within this, uh, this simple simulation. Um, so I'm going to end um, with um, some population genetics. So uh, I'm going to switch gears here. We haven't managed to label different genetic strains of T7 and dis dis discover who did the most destruction and so forth. Well, we can do something analogous by creating an obstacle for a range expansion of three different colors of bacteria. 
off one of these uh, filter soaked rectangular soaked filter papers. And the obstacle here is not uh, a, a resistant strain or anything. This is just agar without anything living on it. But this is a black, this black thing is a plastic disc that was buried in the agar quite close to the surface, thus impeding the nutrients from coming up and uh, feeding the bacteria that are going to be traveling over it or near it. Okay, and so um, uh, this is what happened. And I'll do it just for, so we have something uh, for contrast. I'll do it from a circular homeland. So let's take a look at this. Notice it's a random inoculation. The blue and the red came together exactly 6 o'clock. Okay. That's because they're selectively neutral. If there was a slight selective advantage, they might have come together at 7 o'clock or 5 o'clock. Notice also how straight this is. The wiggles associated with genetic drift are, are, are not... Uh, are not nearly as pronounced. And so we would like to argue that what's happening is it's due to the cusp. So when these populations go around this obstacle, or lake if you will, there, there, there's a disaster up here. These, these, these unlucky ones uh, just don't have a chance, these unlucky sectors. But um, it's the sectors that go right around the edge of the lake. It's, all, it's, it's like a half space, but it acts like a population bottleneck because those lucky ones that just graze the edge of the lake take over. And then when they come together, there's a cusp, and the cusp creates a larger effective population size in the next generation because you have things coming in at an angle. And if the cusp is, say, a 90-degree cusp, the effective population size is about twice what it would be normally. It's even higher uh, due to this um, uh, for a circular uh, obstacle. And so we're, we think, we're still checking, that that's probably why this, this, this uh, boundary is so sharp. And gradually, as the cusp goes away, it'll start wiggling again. At least that's our belief. And uh, see what I have here. OK, good. And this is just to show you that we can do simulations. This is a, a really cool infinite alleles model where every point on the initial inoculant has a different color. And um, going around an elliptical boundary, um, there's the cusp. And uh, it, it hits right at, uh, at, at in this orientation, 3 o'clock. So um, here's, a, here's the same simulation. And I want to show one last thing. Um, which, and I'll stop. Um, so, so that's what we just saw. And now here's a simulation. So this is this, this, this a, a, an infinite alleles model is a common construct in population genetics whereby nominally neutral organisms all have a slightly different genome. If it's big enough, there's always going to be enough SNPs to distinguish them. We gave them each a color. Okay, and so let's just take a look at this this particular expansion around a, a diamond for simplicity. And at the end, I'm going to show you the lineages. This is Wal Wolfram's uh, ideas and work. Um, okay, so up here, at every point on this front, you can ask, where did your ancestor come from in the previous generation? Where did it come from? Where did it come from, etc. 
And um, we might be able to approximate that someday in an experiment, but this is, this is uh, merely a simulation. But it's quite revealing because notice that at this front, if you trace back the spatial lineages, so it's kind of coalescence theory playing out in geography. Uh, if you trace back, uh, it, it, al it always grazes the edge of the diamond. All right. And, and it's a tremendous advantage uh, to, to, to be the guy that just comes around the edge and then, oh, there's this open svelte out there. I'm going to go and breed like crazy. Um, and, uh, and then there are these unlucky lineages. Radiation in half of the, this to see? That would be a very interesting thing. We thought a little bit about that. Thank you. People have uh, used masks over agar dishes and then had some UV coming down to make a very inhospitable desert. And, and that would be another way to do it besides this plastic disc, yeah. Because you could see whether this tree changes when you have selection. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, by the way, this is not an experiment. I wish it were. Uh, but in the simulation, we could certainly do that. And, and uh, you, you, you could, in, in this context, especially with enough colors, begin to look at what's going on. That's Can you use velocity as a, as a surrogate for selection. Absolutely. And that, I, I went over it very fast, but that was, that was one of the things I, I mentioned briefly last week. And so if, if in fact, if you just go and look up uh, the, the wave, the, the Fisher wave velocity uh, of some of these, uh, in a simple model of what's going on, uh, the Fisher wave velocity of the front uh, is twice the square root of some sort of effective diffusion constant uh, times the growth rate. And so this growth rate, this is the cell division rate, uh, comes right into the velocity. So indeed, I think it's an excellent proxy for the selective advantage, um, at least it's a simple uh, things playing out. Um, so that's that story. And let me just end. What's going to happen in the future? Who knows? But there's this wonderful brain boat technology that was developed by my colleague Jeff Lickman and Josh Sainz. And it's used to map out neural circuitry, gives every cell its own unique color approximately. That's now being done with E. coli. And this, I've got permission from uh, Steve Quake, uh, his student, Nate Sira, uh, is making uh, the E. coli version of this thing. And here's a, I don't know, 20 colors. Okay, so it's, 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 it, they're all approximately neutral, but you know, th th this is the kind of complexity that begins to approach what real life and real ecological things uh, might, might, might uh, uh, embody. And uh, so to summarize, uh, here's a range expansion around the, uh, a circular obstacle. Uh, obstacles reduce the genetic diversity because the guys down here are unlucky. Um, obstacles uh, seem to boost genotypes that just graze the edge of the lake um, and sector boundaries uh, have a long memory of their encounter. It takes several, falls off like one over time, not exponentially. Uh, they have a long memory of their encounter with that lake. Um, as, as things uh, falls off like one over time and um, the uh, uh, you can detect the, the presence of this obstacle from, from sectors. And the last thing I'll show you, some of you saw it last week, is Wolfram's whimsical recreation of the out of Africa migration. Um, and hopefully this will, have, will actually work. We'll see if it does. Okay, whoops. 
Alright. So th this is not actually the world. It's an agar uh, pad <laughs> on this printer, from this printer. And T7, if the movie works, will be inoculated in the Rift Valley. Um, maybe. Let's see if it actually happens. This is the current landmass, right? This is not how it was. At, that, you're right. It's not accurate. It's not accurate. That's right. The continental drift has not been taken into account. No, no, no. It's even the rise of the oceans. Uh, that, this, uh, that has not been taken into account either. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, that's true. That's true. Lots of interesting questions. Thank you for your attention. Perfect timing. Okay. Um, so I had lots of questions along the way, and I'm around till March 15th. <laughs> so I'm happy to talk. Uh, so Max, do you want to fire it up? And you need uh, this wonderful microphone. While Max is set up, can I ask a question? Sure. Uh, there is a, uh, I guess, a classic book by uh, Arthur and Wilson called The Theory of Island Biogeography or something like that. Yes. Which is a, uh, I'm not sure it's a theory in the physics sense, but one of yeah, the nice okay. observations right. in that book was uh, the species area law. Yes. Which uh, I don't think has ever really been explained yes. in any satisfactory yes. way, but said so the number of species on uh, related groups of, mm -hmm. on islands are proportional to something like the area to the 0.2 power. Okay. Something like that. Is there any way that you might be able to test such a thing? Because you can make islands. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you have a resource which sure. might be the otter, it might be the bacteria, or, you know. Could you make strains of viruses, let's say that? Excellent suggestion. I'd be, uh, someone should look into it and uh, we'll put it on our list. But, uh, it's a great idea. Thank you.